Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And today I'm talking to the co-founder of Cobram Estate, Rob McGavin. This is a company and a business that's done enormously well here in Australia and is now kicking big goals in the USA. And this week it listed on the Australian stock market. So let's catch up with Rob McGavin. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thanks, Peter. All right, so it's an exciting day for you. Coburn Estate has listed on the stock market. We'll we'll get to that story later, but a lot of people know the brand um, and I was staggered to find that you are the largest old farmer in Australia. And some, is, it, is it right? 71% or something of um, the, the total Australian production. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because old, growing olives is really difficult to do it. Um, well and to produce a lot of fruit and we produce nine times more fruit per hectare than the global average and in fact you would think we're probably a bit of a cottage industry in a, here in Australia but our growers produce more olive oil this year than the entire USA production more than France's production and about 10 times more than than Tuscany's production so yeah we've we've got a, a nice business and yeah. focusing on growing quality quality fruit. Yeah. So, but you, you started as a, a business in 1998. You got your first crop in 1999. Is that right? Or you, or you planted? Oh, about 2000. About 2001. Yeah, we we imported trees into Australia. Paul and I went to a college together. We um, decided we should plant some olives. That that would be a a good crop that we should be able to do well here in Australia. And there's a lot of um, talk around the health benefits and increasing consumption. Yep. Um, and it just set us on a journey that was, you know, so much trial and terror. But um, had, we've had the most unbelievable shareholders who backed us in the early days and are still with us now at the day of listing. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Around that time, my, my son had just finished school, had been recruited by uh, one of his mate's fathers, Steve Higgs, to build to plant olives on their property um, up near Willow Tree in that sort of area, and I know um, Steve was one of the, the the best investment bankers of all time until he made a lot of money, and that was where he went to. So I knew olives were going to come good one that one day. Oh, he's a fantastic guy, and he's been a shareholder of our business for a long time as well. So and a great supporter. We we've got a good relationship with Steve. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. All right, mate. So um, the name Cobran Estate, where does that come from? Yeah, so we our business was originally called Boundary Bend Olives, and that was because we planted their first 500 hectares at Boundary Bend with our founding shareholders. We started that planting in 1999. And in 2006, we were the major supplier to a quite a small brand, but a really high quality brand called Cobram Estate that was founded by the Dugan family um, from Cobram. They'd, they were... Um, you know, in the steel business in Melbourne principally. And look, they wanted to divest from the brand and we ended up purchasing it. And it just became bigger than Boundary Bend, really. And we felt that it was a bit confusing for people to have a different name. So we changed our name of the company more recently to Cobham Estate Olives Limited. Mm -hmm. And our brand in the USA is also Cobham Estate. We do have other brands. Red Island's a secondary brand. Um, and I can talk through that positioning if, if you're interested. So when did you do, decide to go into the US? In 2014, we actually went there. Um, and we, look, we, it was probably out of a little bit of frustration because we had 
we'd pioneered so many things here in Australia and had been giving a really high quality cost competitive product to Australian consumers and and they were loving it and the science around the health benefits is so clear that it's the see antioxidants in the olives that drive the flavor smell and health benefits and the fresher the olives are so and it's not easy to crush you know something like 70 billion olives within four hours of harvesting I mean we go 24 hours a day seven days a week for three months during the harvest period and we were consulting or our business was to the um, University of California Davis campus um, running their processing mills we were you know, trying to help growers and and the major processes over there at the time were just not just not really into it. So we and we we sort of tried to do a few um, I suppose deals with them and that didn't work out. So we just thought we'd start our own business from scratch. And you know, we've got a huge amount of support. We're the third largest processor there now. Our brand's growing very very quickly, um, and you know, we are excited about. The future and we, it's been difficult don't get me wrong there's a lot of cultural differences with the usa and everyone warned us it'd be it'd be difficult yeah. but the pleasing thing is that absolutely everything that works in australia whether that's growing the olives milling the olives um developing the market educating the consumer educating the retail trade everything that works here works there and every time we divert from that it doesn't work so it's a pretty simple recipe if that makes sense hmm. um so do you do you actually grow olives in America or you just do a processing and then produce the Colorado State for for the retail market? Yeah, we 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 are we do grow our own olives, but it's only about 10% of our supply at the moment. But we've got quite a lot of groves that are maturing at the moment. As you know, it takes a long time to come on. And we've got another 500 acres going in this year. And I think we'll have around 40% of supply within say four or five years will be our own olives. But we're hoping that the growers over there and they're showing really good signs that they'll be continuing to plant for us too because the market is very, very strong over there for Californian produced. Um, and, and it's still pretty small as a percentage or very, very small as a percentage of total, total consumption in the US. And the US consumes about half, as, half the amount as Australia per capita. Um, and like Australia, it's doubling about every 10 years or so. Mm. Still a long way behind, behind Italy and Greece. Yeah. So in terms of the, uh, the American appetite for olive oil, I think I read they're about 20 years behind us. Is, is that a fair call? Yeah, it'll be a fair call. I think they'll get there quicker if the supply's around um, because the science is getting more and more clear that, you know, highly refined, cheap, you know, principally seed oils, vegetable oil, palm oil, corn oil is is not very good for us and carries some things in it that, you know, are, are long-term damaging like trans fats. And um, so that, I think that trend is just happening quicker because of social media and influences and data getting around a lot more quickly. But I think about 20 years ago, we were at one litre per head consumption here in Australia and and, and they were at about, I don't know, three or 400 grams. Um, now they're up at one litre and we're at two. So, yeah, I'm thinking that, you know, they'll, they'll keep going up. But there's a huge difference. It's like two or three markets within a market because the cheap, refined, um, extra light, pure, you know, really inferior oils and the adulteration in extra virgin really means that unless you know and trust your brand, you're going to get fleeced. And 
the price is just a race to the bottom. Sadly to say in this industry, that's probably given us our opportunity is that most brands, you know, buy off thousands of growers and quality seems very secondary and depending on which market it's how much they cheat and it's just knowing it's the most adulterated food on earth and um, that'll probably continue, but it really creates opportunities for those that um, do the right thing and focus on customer first as far as, you know, quality and authenticity and all those things that are really important. Sounds like you need Kim Kardashian, mate, to start uh, using Cobram and state olive oil on a daily basis. Yeah, dear Noah, maybe we can get an introduction. <laughs> no, I know she recently took on some sort of Australian product. I can't, I can't recall which one it was, but, yeah, she's a, she's a big influencer in the USA, that's for sure. All right, mate. Yeah, so, she certainly is. Yeah, so let, let's look at then the the growth of olive oil in Australia. Now, I, I just presume it's been like, you know, who hasn't heard the value of the Mediterranean diet? The Mediterranean diet, the, the, big, the big input, of course, is olive oil. But also you've had, you know, people looking at heart attacks and now our diet and whatever. Have those sorts of forces been very important for the growth of olive oils, or do you put it down to celebrity chefs who continually talk about the, the beauty and the value of olive oil? No, I mean, everyone obviously contributes, but I think it's the science behind the health benefits and what causes chronic disease that's becoming a real focus of, and, you know, not everyone wants to take tablets or statins and what foods will reduce blood pressure, reduce cholesterol, and, and probably more recently just underlying inflammation is a seems to be a massive cause of chronic disease in general and it's it, it's reasonably clear that a, a diet that's high in high quality extra virgin olives and i said before that it's the antioxidants in the extra virgin olive oil that drive those health benefits and be, and because it's naturally pro produced just the juice of fresh olives it has a lot of antioxidants in it and they're unique to olives and it's thought that because their sole purpose in life is protecting the fat from oxidizing or going off and repairing it, that they're a lot more um, useful in the human body where our major organs are fat cells, whereas most antioxidants are water soluble in tea and vegetables. And I'm not saying they're bad, but they're different to the ones in olive oil. So a combination of all of those things to help repair um, damaged cells in the body and reduce inflammation, all those things seems to be a way out of this chronic disease issue, which, you know, highly refined foods that your body hasn't seen before and things like trans fats that are only been around 100 years since the refining industry with heat chemicals and solvents has made all these really cheap oils or fats. Um, it, it, it's certainly been, um, a, I'll say a trend, but a movement that's just strong and supported by so much data. In fact, Mary Flynn, who's a lady from Rhode um, Island University in the States, uh, Brown University, sorry, Rhode Island, she said recently that no food comes close to extra virgin olive oil in the prevention of chronic disease. And she's talking about the science. It's just so solid. So a, a diet high in extra virgin olive oil, fruit and vegetables is, is a bit of a, a winner when it comes to that. And a lot of people can reduce medication if they're, particularly if they're on the edge, if they just get their diet right. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, you, you have to be what you eat. Um, so probably no surprises there. But the other thing is an education piece around what happens is that there's millions of growers and the average size grove in the world is only two and a half hectares. And we've got about 7,000 hectares. And there's all these co-ops 
that crush all this fruit that's hand-picked or swept off the ground. And half, believe it or not, half the world's olive oil production, the olives are so rotten when they're crushed because they just let them fall on the ground and sweep them that they're not fit for human consumption. And it used to be lampante and they would use it for lighting. It's lamp oil. But yeah. with refining technology, they're able to refine that oil. And you'd say, why would growers deliver rotten fruit? That doesn't make sense. It's because the pricing signals is so shocking that they make more money because they don't have to pick it from the tree. You don't worry about four hours. And it's they sweep it off the ground. It's got more oil in it because it's accumulated longer. It's overripe. They deliver it there and they only get 10% less because they refine it because countries like Australia buy extra light and pure, which is rotten olives. It's produced rotten olive oil that they then refine and send to us as some tricky thing and sell it for the same price as extra virgin. So when we started this journey, 70% of consumption in Australia was extra light and pure. So if you looked at all those imported brands, it was an extra virgin skew, extra light, pure. And we came along with just extra virgin. The retailer said, where's your extra light and pure? What? And we said, well, they're overpriced. They shouldn't exist. And over time, now, there's only 30% of facings at retail uh, or sales are extra light and pure. And so the extra virgin 70. But really, extra virgin should be 100 because there's no reason to have the others in your diet. That's, a, it's, that's the facts. So, so this, is a, this is an education program for lots of people out there. And, and I am a, a big olive oil consumer and I only have... Uh, uh, extra version or and often just cobra in the state. Um, but you're saying that extra virgin um, or extra light, what, what, is the, what is the best kind of olive extra, oil? Extra virgin is the juice of fresh olives. Principally, okay. there's nothing else just physically extracting it out. Extra, extra light and pure 100% olive oil, they're refined with heat chemicals and solvents to make it fit for human consumption. So with that, they take out all of the good, which is they neutralise and sterilise the oil. So they take out all the antioxidants and they also create polar compounds and byproducts that are known to be bad for you. Okay. And and the, the, the point about your extra virgin olive oil is, and that's my, my, my question to you, what is the level of processing? Is it just basically squeezing the, the olives until the oil comes out or is there more processing involved? No, it's, it's a very simple physical process. So we pick the olives from the tree with a machine that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We match that fruit supply. The, the processing plants are on the groves, which means that we've got four, it's a maximum four hours until they're crushed. So then the olive comes in, it's washed, it's crushed through a hammer mill. It just smashes up the seed, the skin and the flesh into like a tapenade. That's mixed like in a cement mixer for about half an hour, which cuts the oil sacs and release the oil because there's only about 20% of the weight of that olives is, is the extra virgin olive oil. And in that process, the olive itself infuses into that oil and gives it its flavour and smell. And depending on the variety, it's how robust and bitter it is or how mild and sweet it is. And then it's spun through a centrifuge, which literally spins at three and a half thousand revs a minute. And the oil's lighter and goes to the center and the solids and the, the seed are heavier and they go to the outside and that's extra virgin. And then we store it in stainless steel tanks away from heat, light um, and in temperature control rooms. And it's really stable because the antioxidants don't have to sacrifice themselves in those conditions to keep the oil fresh because it's in the perfect conditions. Then when you bottle it, it's 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 in a dark glass bottle. You know, we put a use by date on that um, is scientifically calculated. And once you 
open it, you should use it in about four to six weeks because a bit of oxygen goes in and the ox- antioxidants start sacrificing itself. And when they're all left, the oil goes rotten. You know, it, it's rancid in your mouth, just like when you try any most other oils, they taste really fatty in the mouth yeah. and that it should always be alive in your mouth with antioc- with bitterness, pungency and clean mouthfeel. So, so I can talk. So, so <laughs> for all of us out there who want to you know, get the, 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 the Rolls-Royce version of olive oil then, it seems to me that I should choose, of course, Cobham Estate, you'd argue that, but you, you want to buy from a place that has really big turnover and you buy the small bottles rather than the big bottles. Just, I know I once bought a massive tin from a, an Italian delicatessen, but it took me probably a year to use it. By the end of the, the time, it probably had gone rancid. So, yeah, it's just fatty in your mouth. It just If you smell it and it reminds you of something fresh, it's great. If you smell it and it reminds you like checking the oil in the car or your mother in the old days with the sewing machine oil, it's no good. And when you put it in your mouth, it, it really, you swallow it and your mouth should leave really clean. If it feels fatty and lipsticky, it's no good. Um, and you, you're right, within extra virgin comes all of these different qualities. And for example, our you can, there's real... Um, dollar value in high quality extra virgin. So if you, a normal bottle of Cobram Classic, which is our purple label 750, which is average amount of antioxidants, there's about $10 worth of free supplements in there. If you went to the chemist and bought exactly the same amount gram for gram price in you know the, the antioxidants, the vitamin E, the photosterols and the good things that are in it. And if you got a really high quality or a really robust dollar, it's probably $15 in a 750 mil dollar if you were going to the chemist to buy the same. And I would say most foods are like that and people don't realise it. You know, if you go to buy from someone or you grow the veggies yourself, there's so much more nutrition in it. And But they go to the chemist and try and buy it as supplements. So blow uh, Kim Kardashian, mate. You're one of the best salesmen I've ever heard in my life. That was a terrific. <laughs> now, let, let's let's go to the, the fact that, you know, the, the, a pair of bushies went, went to ag school together. Where, where, where else did you go? Um, my, so I'm originally from Longridge in Western Queensland. My my mother drew a little block off a, a larger station in the days when they were carving up the leases yep. um, in 1951. And, and sadly, she died um, when I was only eight. But dad sort of brought us up. And then I, wanted to, I went and worked in the Kimberley on cattle stations and around. And then I went to Marcus Oldham Agricultural College at Geelong when I was 23. Yep. And I met Paul Redden there. And I did agribusiness and he was studying farm management. And yeah, it was a yeah. He's a great guy, and we've been we've been friends ever since, and we're very different people. Um, he's over in the USA at the moment, so okay. got his work cut out with him right. managing them. Okay, so so we're we're we're, we're listing on the Australian stock market. That happened on Wednesday of this week. Um, yeah, I, today, yeah. What, what what was the listing price? Well, before we started, it was about dollar eighty five. But was that yeah. the price? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Well, we didn't raise any money, so it was just a compliance listing for the market to work it out. Because yeah. um, we have about eight hundred shareholders, and uh, we just we were going to raise money. We didn't want to do it under two dollars a share because none of us wanted to dilute it under that, and we didn't need to. So we just said, look, let's just put it on and see where it goes, and at least people have got liquidity. It's trading about a dollar eighty five, I think. Oh, that's where it opened anyway. Okay, so so. The, the big issues that are going to drive the profits of this business. I, I've got some numbers here. Correct me if I'm wrong. They whack my glasses on for this. Um, so in 2020, USA um, 
a loss of 8.1 million. Of course, you're starting there, I guess, uh, and you're expecting a half a million profit this year. These are the sort of numbers yeah. you come up with. And yeah. Then locally, yeah. I thought the local numbers are interesting. That you know, 4.5 million loss in 2020, but you're looking at a 73.2 million gain in 2021. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So what what explained that? Was it coronavirus? What were the, the reasons why? The no. So the, the, there's a number of things at play. Firstly, is that we have pulled out a huge amount of groves and replanted um, over the last um, 10 years, but particularly over the last five years. And we've done that because we've got all the research on which varieties work in Australia to have the lowest cost of production and the highest quality. And we've ruthlessly pulled them out, which has meant that we've been, you don't get anything from them when you pull them out until the new tree grows. So we've got a lot of young trees, we've got a lot less, less mature hectares, but we also the, because of the drought, we had a $20.5 million water bill um, in FY20. And all of us are biannual bearers. And that means that they have a low crop one year followed by a high crop the next. And that's naturally occurring. And it doesn't bother us very much because we manage our whole business over a two-year cycle of that crop. So if you want to look at your real cost of production in olives, you have to go two years where the cost two years worth of production, that's your cost of production because your costs are pretty fixed. When you have a low crop, your cost of production's here. And when you have a really high crop, it's down here. And our our cash flow, our sales to the customers are very stable and consistent. But And we also have to bring to account in the year of harvest, the oil that we harvested from our trees at what we're going to sell it at. But we don't bring any other oil that we've got you know, that we've bought from other growers or anything else has to stay there at cost. So it's, so effectively our profits, and I've got this in the prospectus and, and, and we made an announcement today about looking at two-year rolling average reported numbers because the reported numbers are non-cash adjustments that work out to be right, but over two years work out to be right, not over one. When you when you look at it objectively, of course, the statutory accounts are the statutory accounts, but um, we, we like to say, okay, we have a at the this year now uh, combined last year and this year of the Australian business and obviously we're break even make money in, in the US and our value add business as well as is getting to that point as well. But if you look at our Australian olive oil business, which is the heart of drives our earnings, we'll have about a $42 million EBITDA average between that last year loss that you're talking about and this year. Yep. And after this coming harvest, so in the one we're in now, that should have another material jump. So, and that, and we've got the cost of running all of our groves, but only about 60% are really producing, but we've got the cost of all of them. So most of the revenue increase will also flow to profit as we go forward in the Australian business. Okay. How, how big a threat is drought to the business? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly serious um, earnings or cash flow um, hit or so it works both ways when it's average rainfall above water prices get very very cheap because there's lots around and when the drier it gets the higher they get so our water bill can go between you know three million dollars and 20 million dollars based on the drought what we have got going for us is that olives are probably the only mainstream crop because they're like the mallee tree or the eucalypts of the mediterranean that 
will survive um, if you don't water them. Whereas we're in a dry climate, if we didn't have any water all year, our trees wouldn't die. Yes, we wouldn't get a crop, but we got our asset. If that was almonds or citrus or wine grapes, table grapes, they're going to die if you don't water them because they're not a hardy plant, if that makes sense. So I, I never say that we, um, you know, aren't going to be impacted. Of course we are if it's if, if financially, but we've never, ever had trouble buying water. It's just how much you pay. And we can pay more, I believe, than any other mainstream crop because of, and we don't have the currency risk, us much currency risk in the Australian business and, and almost no commodity risk either, which which is a good place to be because most times in ag, when you've got a drought, your commodity is also on the floor or something else goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, 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 the life of a farmer. But tell us this, mate, your innovation into the other brand, Wellgrove, what, what does that include? And is, is it a, a potentially more stable business or, or is it a, a potentially faster grower? Yeah, I, I think it's, it, look, I, personally, I'm really excited about it. Um, we're not saying a lot. We've spent $20 million over the last seven years. We've got a whole suite of new products coming on. Um, and to put it really simply, those antioxidants that I'm talking about are the value in the health for olive oil. Naturally, when you crush the olives and spin the oil out, only about 1% of those antioxidants in total end up in the oil, which give it this flavour, smell, and health benefits. The other 99% end up in the waste stream and end up dying and we compost it and put it back on. Well, we've worked out how to get those antioxidants out of the fruit alive and, and, into, and freeze dry them into a powder. And that's been part of this really big research. And there's a number of other and there's antioxidants from the leaves. I mean, that's a me too type product. Other people do that. But we're really excited about not just the well-growth bit, but being a pretty major supplier to um, supplement company, companies of some pretty important antioxidants that are um, reasonably rare because a lot, most, not a lot of people in the world crush fresh olives. That's the reality. Only 25% of the world's production is even extra virgin and hardly anyone's got our scale of that as well. So the... We're excited about it, but it's certainly, I'll say, higher risk, but probably definitely a lot more stable and potentially, um, yeah, I, I think it's potentially bigger than the business. But again, I'm not saying that out loud, even though I just did. But 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 it might not be. But even even if it's even if we get all of that for our zero waste initiative and we make modest profits, at least our waste stream's not costing us money to cart away you know, the, the leftovers and we're using, we're getting more out of the water, the fertiliser, you know, everything else. You know, and one of the things I'm really proud of in our business is that we, we've got this olive IQ system that's just proprietary to us in how you grow olives. We get nine times the yields of the global average, you know, using 37% less water per litre than the average, you know, I think 40 or 50% less nitrogen, 80% less phosphorus, per litre of olive oil produced. And we offset the carbon of a small city like Bendigo each year just because of our, our groves and, and how productive they are. And um, it, it's, it, it's sort of just a really cool business, if that makes sense, with so many things that, you know, seem to just create opportunities. So, yeah, we're, we're excited in case you can't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great enthusiasm and I think uh, anyone who's thinking about investing in a company, they understand there's always risk investing in any companies, but it's a really good story and I think as an Aussie, 
uh, and, and others like me really hope you kick some massive goals both here and abroad. And uh, it's really nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the program. Oh, thanks so much, Peter. Really appreciate you having us and, and the support of the Australian consumer. And, and hopefully they'll become shareholders is, is, you know, really humbling. And we're so, so want to keep this company Australian. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us, mate. No worries. Thanks, Peter. And that was Rob McGavin, the co-founder of Cobram Estate. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time!